because we're coming into contact with different spiritual realms, different spiritual domains and spheres of authority. And in those, they carry thoughts. And when those thoughts fly over our head, we have the authority to either accept or reject. We can grab on and say, these are mine. Or we can say, mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's really my thought. But we have to be aware of the thoughts going through our head because if we're not aware, we will begin to accept every thought that goes rolling through our mind as our own. And what happens when the spiritual gates of a region or a nation is opened up to thought systems and thought patterns in the spirit realm that have, have, are, are physically being released because remember, they, they have physical substance. What happens when all of a sudden these thoughts are now flying through your head that are, are potentially very destructive for your life and society? Welcome to the Lucas Scrobot Show. I'm Lucas Scrobot, and this is where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 284. It is May 26th. 2022. And today we have a little bit of a different episode. I have put together a montage for you of a number of segments and clips from the previous 284 episodes, not all of them at one time, but there's a lot of, a lot of content that's buried in the archives. And we pulled out some of the best of clips, some clips that I've even forgotten about that as I've looked through the content and culled through the content, I've realized, man, this is this is really gold. This is helpful to us today in May 2022 to understand where we're going, to understand how to see the world and how to own our futures in the midst of the chaos and in the midst of the amazing, positive things that are happening right now in the world. It is, and oftentimes we focus on the crazy and the chaos and the insane that is happening. It's often quite entertaining to focus on the insane. Let's just be honest. But truly, we live in incredible times across the earth. The times that we live in are so amazing that you and I would not trade our lives for the life of a billionaire, billionaire that lived 100 years ago. People who lived 100, 120 years ago, they would die because they didn't have simple antibiotics. They didn't have refrigerators. Life and the world, the humankind is really getting better. Our life, our life expectancy is getting better. And that is good news that we should focus on and remember and celebrate and rejoice in. Because one of the biggest keys to living a fulfilled, satisfied life is gratitude. Because gratitude takes us off the throne of our hearts. Gratitude strips away all of our entitlements all of our, our thoughts that we are the ones who make our self-built life. And it brings us back 
to the source, to the root, that all things come from God. All blessings come from above. Gratitude. So I hope that you enjoy this, this series of clips in today's episode, and we'll see you next week back here on the show. Everything we do by spend to address our deep-seated feeling of not being enough. That's what I call the insecurities exchange. Mm. Let me go buy something. Let me go take a course. Let me go get a piece of paper from somebody that says, oh, now you are good enough to do this. And then all of a sudden, then you realize, oh, wait a minute, there's an advanced course in this? I'm not good enough until I get the advanced course. And then there's another advanced <laughs> course. So this is how the world is oh, propped man. up today. <laughs> it's And Dr. Seuss wrote about this. I mean, you don't, you know, I like your disclaimer that you're not a, you know, a social psychologist, therapist, but Dr. Seuss wrote about this. I don't think he, maybe he was, I don't know, but uh, stars upon stars, uh, right? So the, there's the stars belly sneeches and the non-star belly sneeches. And it's this, this, creating this cognitive dissonance to get people to get the stars on them and then you get the stars off them. And it's this whole cycle of looking for that gatekeeper to essentially give you the stamp to say that you're okay, you're ready enough, you've arrived, you have enough knowledge that you can now begin to go out into the world and and make a difference. Yeah. All right, so E.E. E. Cummings. Now, I am not a... Uh, I am not a big uh, consumer of poetry, but I, I read some, and this is one I've committed to memory, but just a line. To be nobody but yourself in a world that's doing its best night and day to make you everybody else is the hardest battle we ever fight and never stop fighting. E.E. Can you say that again and just a little slower? Yeah. Say that one more time so we can let it sink in. Yeah. To be nobody but yourself in a world that is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else mm. is the hardest battle we ever fight and never stop fighting. Man. You know, so we've, we have these ideas of – Oh, gosh, if I could be more like and fill in the blank, whoever that is in your sphere of influence, you know, in, in your in your circles of the, the people you respect and admire and want to be like and whatever that is. And, and I know people that, you know, that, that they study people to be more like them and learn their mannerisms or pick up and maybe and sometimes it's unintentional. But when we realize that you and me trying to, uh, I, I fall short anytime I am trying to be anybody else. Mm. But you know what? I really am the most remarkable Kevin Monroe there is. And so I need to just recognize I don't need to try to be somebody else. What the E.E. E. Cummings point and what I was talking about, there, there are all of these ads, you know, that, that just aim at us. I heard Brene Brown didn't say this. She was quoting someone. She said, I had a friend that, that said this to me, that our first thought of the morning is I didn't get enough sleep last night. Mm. Our last thought of the day is I didn't get enough done today. 
our days are bookended with scarcity thinking, scarcity mentality. That's how most of us start and stop our days. And then between then, it's just this mad dash trying to be somebody else. So what if you just realize, hey, you know, I'm created to be me and I have gifts, talents and abilities that the world needs. And if I can just learn to show up authentically, uniquely as me, it's going to be much better than me trying to be somebody else. So we are a really bad imitation of anybody else. Mm. And when we can find the freedom to be authentically ourselves and to get comfortable, what you mentioned a moment ago, you know, getting older, getting more comfortable in your own skin. Man, that, that's, that's the journey. Um, Kevin, I love so how did we get there? Kevin, Lucas? <laughs> yeah, how, did we, how did we get there? Kevin, I love, I love what you said just now about, about gratitude, abundance, about how so often we, we live in this scarcity mentality, um, just from the first thought to the last thought of our day to everything in between. And then how you, how you said that, that gratefulness, gratitude, thankfulness is the door that opens abundance yeah. to us. And I've always said and heard it said that it is, it is gratitude and gratefulness that breaks the back of humanism, right? So humanism in, in this idea that we are self-sufficient, that we need to take care of ourselves, that, that everything rises and falls on our shoulder. But the moment and, and even it breaks the back of uh, entitlement, of entitlement of because I did X, Y, and Z, I deserve A, B, and C. Um, this entitlement that we have that when we step into gratitude, it also breaks this back of, of entitlement. It breaks the back of this idea that we deserve something and also puts us into this place of, wow, everything that I have around me is a gift that I that I don't deserve, that this is a blessing from God on my life, that my family, my health, my, 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 my job, my relationships, these are all blessings that I, I didn't do anything to deserve. And that frees us, that frees us from this, this striving um, by the sweat of our brow mentality that, that plagues so many of us. As my friend Steve Foran puts it in his book, and, and I'd love to introduce you to Steve. He'd be a great guest on your show, Lucas. Um, when I realized that everything in my life is a gift, mm. my only response is to be grateful. When I realize everything in my life is a gift, our response is gratitude. Because the things that we believe, the things that you believe, the things that I believe will drastically shape the decisions that we make on an everyday basis. It will drastically shape the way that we raise our kids. It will drastically shape the culture of our households, the culture of, of our friendships in the communities around us, the ideas that we adopt. And not all ideas are equal. Not all ideas lead to the same place. Not all ideas have the same result. But the question is, how can you and I, with a simple, quick framework, 
discern which direction an idea will take us because most of what I see out in culture today are ideas that sound good, that feel good, that make you warm and cozy. They're ideas that are promoting mankind. They're ideas that are embracing our humanity, fighting for the the common good of, of mankind. But if you follow them just a few steps forward and the trajectory that those thoughts and ideas bring us, if you follow those, you'll find that they actually do bad. They feel good, but they do bad. We are going to be speaking about the the pro-human ideologies and anti-human ideologies and how we can discern the difference between them because that is a, a really easy litmus test that I have found when, when taking an idea and understanding where it comes from and where it is going and whether or not I want to let this operating system function in my life. Now, here is a, a quick shortcut. If you want the 101, the too long, didn't read shortcut of this episode, it is this. Most ideas out in the world today in culture that's propagating themselves as being pro-human are actually anti-human at its core. Let me say that again. The, the too long didn't read. Most ideas in culture that are being pushed and promoted throughout culture that's saying this is pro-human, this is kind, this is compassionate, this is loving, this is good for, for, for mankind, for the environment, for the world. They're actually, when you play out the implications of these ideas, are inherently anti-human at its core. And that is the way that we're going to, there's, there's many ways to discern, there's many ways to understand what, what ideas we should object, uh, reject or should accept, but this is one really easy litmus test, a framework to quickly evaluate the quality of an idea. Is it pro-human in actuality or anti-human in actuality? Now, as I said, a lot of these frameworks that are anti-human have position themselves as being pro-human. Why? Because if you can play with words, and that's what's happening right now throughout society and largely due to the postmodern movement that we are in, as it's really striking right now across culture, across the globe, this idea of postmodernism, words do not have meanings. And therefore, if we can manipulate the meanings of words, we can push our agenda and there's no channel of communication outside of this thought system because we've changed the definition of the word. And we see that with, with uh, the kind of woke uh, racism movement that's been happening where, where we went from being we should be not racist to moving to uh, a positioning and saying we need to be anti-racist. And what anti-racism is, it's not saying don't be racist, but it's saying actually you are racist and you can't help being racist. You must, you must fight your racism. And the only way to end racism is by being racist and having reverse racism. And it's changing the definition of racism saying that, well, 
you know, certain minorities groups can't be racist. And the more, the more lower you are on the totem pole, the less racist you could possibly be. And so we've, we've changed the terms and we actually created a hierarchy within, within culture to say one form of racism is good. Those at the bottom having racist ideologies towards those who supposedly are above them on the totem pole. But the other form is bad. One form is actually not possible. It's not possible for someone in the intersect of intersectionality to be racist. It's not possible. So we've, we've changed the definition of words to be able to promulgate ideologies in the world. Now, there is one main philosophical idea that we sit on that enables society to even move in a direction of seeing one another equal. And this idea, again, it's found in most major religions, at least monotheistic religions, which that is that we were created by God. Now, this is a very important idea that we were created. This idea is at the core of the Declaration of Independence for the United States of America, which says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So this, this idea that we are created and that we are all endowed with equality and, and unalienable rights to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is really a, an idea throughout Western society that has now empowered capitalism across the world, which has empowered millions of people to leave poverty and, and enter into education and, and build a better future for their families. It's this idea that we were created and that we were created equal. When we depart from one or both of these ideas, we will fall into anti-human ideology. Now, why can't we have one without the other? Why can't we say, well, we were all evolved to be equal. We, we, maybe we say, okay, we, we don't have God. God's not in the picture. Let's just take him out, wipe him out. But we can still say we're equal. Actually, we can't. Because the moment that we do away with God, we do away with the fact that we were created in a certain manner, in a certain form, kind, and likeness, then we've evolved out of the, the swamp of history, the swamp of billions of years, and we were just a highly evolved animal. If we're a highly evolved animal, we are nothing but a sack of chemicals. And if we're nothing but a sack of chemicals, then life really has no meaning. And we can begin to make judgment calls on, well, who is actually more human? Who is actually more positioned? Who should actually give, be given more rights? Than others. Because if we've evolved, that means that we're not equal. It means that you and I may be in different places because maybe you're more involved than I am. Maybe you've reached a, a higher level 
of enlightenment and and, and uh, humanity than I have, and therefore I am now less human. So the moment that we take away God from the picture, we have sawed off the branch that we sit on. And likewise, the moment that we take away equality from the picture, the moment that we take away the fact that we were all created as equal as humans, we'd say we were created, but we weren't all created equal. We cut off that branch too. So these are, when I look at an ideology or when I look at a thought system or a pattern and I, and I bring it in and I judge it before adopting it, I judge it before adopting it and say, okay, where did this come from? Where is it going? And I evaluate it. These are some of the two main indicators that I can look at to say, wait, this will lead me down a bad road. This is what happened in Russia with the gulags. When, when Russia really adopted this idea that we were all just a, a sack of chemicals and we, we adopted the, the ideas of, of Marx and Engels in saying that, well, there is no such thing as morality. There's no such thing as right and wrong. It's only power. And we look at a certain segment of society and say, well, these people are the way they are because of their upbringing. They are the way they are because of their genetics and their, their culture that they lived in. And, and we can't change them because it's just been determined by their environment and by who they are. What happens? Well, they get sent to the gulags. And when the, the re-education camps of the gulags don't work, what happens? They get sent to the, the back of the building to the firing squad. Now, this is happening again in current culture. It's, gulags are happening across the world, granted, where we look in with the Uyghur people in China where there, there's this idea that they're, they're less than human and they're putting in concentration camps and re-education camps. We can see it throughout mainstream media in America where there are certain people who say, quote, Even the most liberal, well-intentioned white person has a, 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 a virus uh, in his or her brain that can be activated at an instant. When these ideas are accepted by us in saying that a, a certain group of people have been predetermined to think and act a certain way and it's, it's not curable, well, then what happens? What happens when we decide, well, we need to fix and cure these people because they are a danger to society? What happens when we need to fix and cure you because you're a danger to society? But then remember, you're not curable because you are just an evolved sack of chemicals. And so the thing that would be most merciful and most compassionate, not only for you, but for others, would be to finish it for you. So here we started off with this kind and humane idea of trying to create and build a better society. And in turn, we end up destroying the humans who live in that society. We become anti-human for the sake of being pro-human. It just doesn't work. And we're not going to be talking so much about trans-dimensional beings or jinn or demon or angels. We're not talking about any of that stuff. We are going to be talking about 
thoughts because our thoughts or thoughts in general have substance in the spiritual realm or in the aspheric plane, whatever terminology you wish to call it. Now, just like in the natural realm, this microphone right here, I can touch it and I can feel it. It has a physical substance, but in the spirit, in the spiritual realm, thoughts, ideas have physical substance. There is a bigger implication of all of this besides just, you know, hyper-spirituality or something. It actually comes back into our everyday life, the way that we view the world, the way that we walk in the world, the way that we raise our families, the ways that we operate our, in, in, our, in our companies, in our jobs, the way that we engage in cultural issues. The, the, this one idea, this one fact that ideas have substance, they are physical items in the spiritual realm is actually quite important. Now, rarely have I heard uh, this talked about when it comes to geopolitical situations. There's very few people that I have listened to that have articulated how in the spirit realm there are angels and demons or transdimensional beings, whatever you wish to call them, jinn, that are shaitan and Allah fighting for the souls and the destiny of men. Very few people talk about this because it normally falls into just like very kind of religious overtones. And I want to do my best to stay away from religious overtones because that's really not the, the point of this episode. The point of this episode is to bring up the fact that there are powers that are affecting the way that you and I and entire nations, entire regions of the earth think because they have been given authority, because someone has opened the door and welcomed specific thought systems into their life or their culture. And so there, there is, of course, the, the practical outplay of when we introduce legislation or an idea into culture, into society, whether that comes through Hollywood and movies or whether that comes through um, uh, re reforming the education system. Of course, that also happens there in culture in very practical ways. But there's also the spiritual aspect where there's, a, there's an opening of a spiritual realm that affects the heart's in minds, the, the thought patterns of people across the globe who are sitting underneath those specific domains of society. So there are two points that we are going to touch on today. These two points are, one, as I've already said, thoughts have substance in the spirit realm, and two, we're going to be talking about the domains of authority and how the things that we let into our domain of authority or our household or our family or our workplace, the places that we have a level of authority outside of us, that actually opens up those things that we have taken um, ownership of, thoughts that we have taken ownership of. It affects other people 
around us. The first idea here is that not all thoughts are your thoughts. I'm going to say that again. Not all the thoughts that run through your head are originally your thoughts. There's actually thoughts that are floating around this room, thoughts that are floating around the zeitgeist, if you will, of society. There are thoughts that are out there. There, I, I, when I was growing up, I was quite the was quite the loner, and I had way too much time to think. But during my time to think, I began thinking of philosophical thoughts that I had never heard before, but were actually very common throughout history that philosophers have thought about. Whether you know how can we even perceive the world? What if I'm the only person in the world? These are things that are floating around in the zeitgeist of culture or the spirit realm, wherever you are, there are other thoughts that pass through your head that aren't yours. And then there are thoughts that are yours. But what can happen is a thought will flip through our mind and we'll say, oh, I never had that thought before. And we take it and we own it as our own. Well, the moment that we own a thought as our own, we accept that thought, we essentially have given permission and authority for that thought to build a a place in our minds, a stronghold, if you will. It begins to form thought patterns and, and, and ways of operating, behavioral operations within our mind. And that then begins to affect our aura or the, the, the space of energy around us. The next point under this thing, uh, this first idea that thoughts have substance is that words are powerful. Words create realms. Words have power to affect and shape someone's life. Words are, are very important because words carry ideas with them. And those, as I said, they have substance in the spirit realm. So they're so important. So the words that we say over ourselves, over our marriage, over our kids, over our business, over the projects that we do, the, the things that we say about ourselves, it is reaffirming our thought systems. So if we are, if we are continually talking down about ourselves, cursing ourselves, saying, Lucas, you know, you're such an idiot. Lucas, why can't you get yourself together? You know, if I'm continually talking down to myself, I'm actually agreeing with a something that's in the spirit realm, an assignment that is against my life. And by agreeing with that, we know from Lao Tzu that our thoughts becomes our words, our words become our actions, our actions become our behaviors, behaviors, our habits, our environments, and then our character and our destiny. So we need to watch our thoughts. And we talk about that relentlessly here on the show. We need to watch our thoughts. Why? Because it becomes our reality. And so first we need to watch our thoughts and then it's out of our hearts that our mouth speaks. So when we're speaking something, it's because we've already been thinking something. And so we need to watch our words because when we speak those words, it actually creates environments. Now there there are, you can have hexes, you can have vexes, you can have word curses, you can have inner vows. So when we vow, I am never going to do this, or 
I will never, or I could never. We're actually creating these vows over our life that has strongholds and power over our lives that keeps us from probably doing things that you are actually created and designed to do. When we speak something over our children and over our spouse, you're always like this. Why can't you ever get it right? You're so fill in some curse. We're actually speaking something physical over their life that has power because we have given it power. Who exactly is shaping the way that you and your children will end up viewing the world? Most of us would like to think that, well, we self-shape our worlds. We can decide what we want to believe or don't want to believe. Or we think, well, it is the education system. It's education that's the problem. If we can only educate people, if we can only revamp the school system. Some people believe, well, it's government policy. It's government that is shaping the way that people view the world and and operating through the world. Others, well, it's the parents. The parents are having a huge influence on the the upbringing of the, the world around them. Some, it's the peers. Your friends are shaping the way that you view the world. But guess what? There is actually data. There is studies that have been done that says, what are the greatest shapers of at least Western society? Now, this study was done by the Barnum Group. They measured the impact on individuals, on society, based on the amount of time contact points that the different industries or different spheres had on people and the amount of money that was spent on these things. Because the things that we spend our time on, the things that we spend our money on is an indicator of where we put value and an indicator of what is actually shaping the way that we view the world or operate within the world or value inside of the world. So they broke it down this study broke down the significant sources of influence on American culture. So we're speak, speaking specifically about American culture, but I think it can be extrapolated most likely with exceptions, I'm sure, to Western culture. And then beyond that, as we look into the rest of the world in Asia, Africa, subcontinent, we can begin to see that a lot of the same trends of behavior is beginning to happen among the youth. And I suspect that over the coming decades, we will see that these sources of influence on global culture will remain similar or the same across cultures due to globalization and due to digitalization across the globe. So they split it up into three tiers, a top tier, middle, and bottom tier of influence in society. In the top tier of influence, they cited movies, television, music, and books, followed by social media and internet as being the top five influences on American culture. Underneath that, still in the first tier, was law and public policy, government, and then below that was the family and the parents. So the greatest influence, it is movies, TV, media, 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 social media, followed by some policy and then followed by parents. So the laws that are set in place, the policies that are set in place by a nation, 
important to shaping uh, culture. The family and the parents, they still have a significant impact on the culture that is set within a family and within the nation of America. But above that, we see it is all media. It is the media that children are consuming that's shaping the way that they view the world. When you go on to the second tier, you'll see that it's school, then print media and video games, friends or peers, followed by large corporations, Coca-Cola, Disney, and affinity groups. Who's, who's your friend groups? Who are you like? Your broader circles, not your immediate friends, but those broader circles of affinity. In the bottom tier, you'd have non-nuclear families, so your extended cousins. You'd have promotional events, uh, protest events, live theaters, advertising, literature, and then finally, your local church or the religious sphere of society. So what is shaping culture? Is it school? Yeah. Is it corporations? Is it uh, big business? Not really. Is it your extended family? No. It is media. As I said, your mileage may vary culture to culture. I suspect that here in the Middle East, media still plays a large role, but I suspect that religion still has a huge impact on culture. I suspect that government has a larger impact, family has a larger impact, but we still see the way that they measured this study was touch points spent from children on these different spheres. Where's the most time exposure? And we can see here in the Gulf, in the subcontinent, the time exposure that kids have to media across the globe now is absorbent. For instance, by the time a child is 14 years old, they will have consumed on average 18,000 hours of media, been exposed to 18,000 hours of media. That is equivalent to 6.2 years of eight hours a day on media by the time you're 14. 6.2 years, eight hours a day of media saturation. That is mind-boggling. By the time uh, the normal American is 18, that number jumps from 18,000 contact hours or consumption hours of media to 33,000. That is nearly 12 years of eight hours a day consuming media. Now, as I said, this is America, but what about the rest of the world? Maybe other cultures are different. Well, yes, but in 2011, in UAE, the National News published an article saying that a team led by Mahboud Hamshi surveyed 638 UAE nationals from the ages of 16 to 25 at schools and universities. They said that almost half of the young Emiratis are addicted to the internet and spend nearly 10 hours a day on social and other media. A new survey suggests they say that young people live a highly mediated existence, spending more than 9.9 .9 hours on average a day with media, more time than they spend sleeping, and they spend twice as much time on the internet 
as watching TV, according to researchers. Now, when we drop down into the lower ages, I'm sure that number drops from 10 hours a day to something smaller. But still, if you're at three, four, five hours a day when you're in your early teen years from eight to 12, that is going to have a significant impact. What are you watching? What are those kids listening to? It doesn't take much observation to see that parents are using screens as babysitters. From All you have to do is go to a mall and see how many kids have a screen glued in front of their face as their parents are shopping. Because our media consumption is not going down. It is increasing. Here are some startling facts on media consumption in the West. Adults spend more than 11 hours a day. This is from the Nelson Report in 2018. Teenagers spend an estimated of 10 hours a day on screens. Tweens, six to seven hours a day absorbing media. Eight to 10-year-olds are spending about five hours a day with media. And the typical 18-year-old will have been exposed to over 32,000 hours of media content, and it's increasing. But what does all of this mean? What does this mean? What impact does this have on culture? Well, we see that in the West, that there has been a huge shift from traditional values to what I'm calling social media values. We have shifted in American culture from valuing hard work, civic duty, humility, living in moderation, the importance of family and faith, the rule of law, obeying the rule of law, frugality, living within our means, and living simple lives. Those were the traditional American values. But it has changed. If you look in modern American culture today, we see that the values have drastically shifted to values that have been promoted on social media, on TV, on reality TV, in movies. And what is that? It is comfort, living for experiences, for feelings, having an expression, expressing ourselves in a, in a way that makes us feel free. Rather than humility, we just want to be expressive. Happiness not moderation. We want to be happy. I want to do what makes me feel good. Independence. I don't want to be bound to my family values. I want to do what I want to do. Forget my parents. Entitlement. I'm entitled to things. The world owes me something. Control. Acceptance. And freedom. Not simplicity, frugality or obeying the rule of law. It's, I want to be in charge. I am king of my own world, and I will do what I want. It's anarchy. And we see that these are the values that have been pushed and pressed across media platforms. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, it doesn't matter. These are the values that the new generation, the coming generation, Generation Z, and even the millennial generation have adopted, have embraced. Now we could say, well, what? Ah, come on, Lucas, what's so bad with that? I mean, everyone wants to be comfortable. We want, to, we want happiness. I want you to be happy. We should be independent and 
yeah, freedom is a good thing. We should all be freedom and and independent and we should express our feelings, not just, you know, bottle them all up, not to live in, in moderation, not to harness our emotions and use self-control. Instead, I just want to express the way that I feel. Like, why is that so bad? Well, let's look at the effects that this change of value has on society. A majority of adults believe that the following things are now morally acceptable in the West. They believe that divorce is okay. Having a, a sexual relationship when you're not in a marriage, it's okay. Gambling, yeah, that's fine. If you have sexual thoughts or fantasies about people besides your spouse, nah, that's okay. It's no big deal. It's just in your mind. Um, LGBTQ plus relationships are acceptable. Mar- those LGBTQT uh, relationships should be embraced across the board. Doctor-assisted suicides, acceptable. LGBT identity, acceptable. Cohabitation, living together uh, outside of a, a married relationship, totally fine. Having a child without the parents being married, that's fine. And, and we see it in the stats. We see that it's not just people accepting these things, but people have begun to live in this sort of lifestyle. Now, again, to play the devil's advocate, well, Lucas, why not? Why why not live in these type of lifestyles? What's so wrong with thinking that gambling's okay or having promiscuous relationships or having a child outside of marriage? Times are changing, values changing. We're becoming more open-minded and more accepting. Isn't it good that we're becoming more tolerant and more loving to people that are in the LGBTQ community? Isn't this a good thing? Why why are you coming down hard on those who decide not to get married traditionally? What's wrong with this? Well, let's talk about that. What effects do these things have on society? What is the cascading effect? As you can see, it's like a domino that has been pushed. The first one was all of a sudden we have this inundation of media and media begins to shape and transform the minds of a new generation, replacing traditional values with a new set of values, a set of values that is exalting the self and rather than teaching and and putting on a pedestal a value of restraint and moderation and self-control, it is saying, let your feelings run rampant. Do what you want. Be happy at all costs. From that, we see the next step, which is there's a, a massive change in the way that people believe other things in life. When it comes to the, the traditional family values are malleable and they're accepting that. We're seeing a spike in, in kids that are born outside of wedlock. And what is the effects of those? Well, we talked about this actually just a few episodes ago in episode 193 with Robert Henderson. He came on the show and he talked about how family values being destroyed, how the the uncertainty that happens in kids' lives between the ages of zero and five is the greatest predictor of further 
violence in their life, of being arrested in their life, of being putting themselves in a risky situation when they're in their teens. It's further evidence. There's evidence saying that if you do not have a, a stable childhood, you will grow up to not be a trusting person. You won't trust your friends. You won't trust the government. You won't trust the relationships that you have around you. Is this a positive thing that we want in culture? Do, do we want to sow seeds of mistrust and doubt in culture? Do we want to sow seeds in the next generation's life to have a, a chaotic young adulthood that's only going to breed more destruction? Is this what we want? Here's a clip from Robert Henderson. What are the predictors of um, sort of juvenile delinquency, criminal behavior, teen pregnancy, sort of you know, doing risky things that could get you hurt or in trouble? Um, and so the, the, two, the two key things they were looking at, one was uh, environmental harshness, what they called environmental harshness, which is essentially low socioeconomic status. Um, you know, how much money do you have? How much money does your family have? The other question, or the, the other factor they were looking at was environmental unpredictability, which is basically measured as um, how many different kinds of family structures you lived in in your childhood. Um, you know, how many divorces, how many different homes, how many sort of uh, marriages and remarriages and so on that you sort of go through, or, or foster homes in my case, I guess. Um, and what they found was that the latter, this sort of unpredictability, uh, that kind of disorder and chaos in early childhood is you know much stronger predictor of you know later criminal behavior and getting into trouble getting hurt than uh, than poverty which I think might surprise some people I think we talk a lot about poverty in society but we very rarely talk about stability and care and security for young children um, and I think this is what's going on you know this sort of broader question of what's going on in in the U S and maybe in Western society more broadly is um, the breakdown of the family. In a situation where you don't have, you know, a stable two-parent family, um, you don't. Yeah, I think it's it's harder to learn to trust people. It's harder to sort of learn early on how to how to establish and build relationship, have that sort of sense of safety and emotional connection, and that willingness to be vulnerable uh, that you know children can have when they have a secure and 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 stable home environment. But you know, fewer and fewer people have that. And I think this is giving rise to a lot of the cynicism and the nihilism that we're seeing now. And I believe Robert is right. This is a leading factor of the rise in cynicism and nihilism in this generation, the breakdown of the family unit. So you might ask yourself, or you might ask me, well, why are these liberal values, why is this open-mindedness and this tolerance towards things that directly impact the stability of the family, especially if you believe that the stability of the family or a family unit is something to be looked down on, is an oppressive function of the patriarchal society. You can believe that, and you can say that. But the problem is that when these ideas are implemented, when there is a breakdown of the family unit, does it leave the next generation in a better place with better mental health, with better options on the table for employment, with stronger and more healthy relationships, more trusting? Or does it lead to more 
chaos and destruction in their lives. And the studies would show, the data would show that it's the latter. And so if we want to win the war against nihilism, if we want to stem the tide that is destroying this generation of suicide, rising suicide rates, rising depression and anxiety rates, then we must begin with the youth. We must begin at a young age, and we must begin with media because it is media. Media that is shaping the hearts, the minds, and the lives of the next generation. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, this is a value for value podcast. If you got value out of the show, please, I'd ask you, give value back to the show in the measure that you received it. And you can do that by visiting lucasscrobot.com backslash support. And you can give your hard, cold fiat in the value that you got value out of it back. Another way that you can value to me is by asking a question. You can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero, and I'd love to get your questions. And if it's bad enough, I might even play it right here on the show. Finally, if you want to get more out of this show, out of this podcast, share it with a friend. It helps the show and it helps you because when you share something with someone else, they feel loved, they feel thought of, and you are able to build like-mindedness within your community. You're able to build a shared language within your community and begin to shape the thoughts of those around you and influence those around you. So I hope you do that this week and I will see you next week right here on the show. Until then, go out and own your future.